We actually will be doing mainly a Bible study now for the first, uh, like for at least the first four, five weeks. I think we have seven left. We'll take it one week at a time. How how, how long will we we uh, meeting? I think we're gonna we're gonna meet up to Memorial Day, so whatever that is, the twenty fourth of May. The reason why that is is because uh, I'm gonna go on vacation. <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, no one will be here. I suppose you guys could meet for coffee if you wanted to and pray with each other, but. Yeah, the, the whole uh, St. Francis St. Clair book was a uh, home run. Yeah, I don't even know if Pastor Brzezik knew how good it was when he recommended it. So, I think so that's a pleasant surprise. Yeah, he, in fact, I think he said that. He said somebody, well, yeah. Well, anyways, never mind. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> well, after the, fir- the other book, after the first chapter, you kind of got the gist of the story. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's true, though. I think I think all the pastors agreed with you. Well, maybe not the third. I think it was at least the first chapter. I don't know about the first three pages. All right. Let's uh, let's pray and then we'll uh, get going. Lord Jesus Christ, open our hearts and minds to your word, and let the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In your name, we pray. Amen. All right, uh, Pastor Brzezik and I, we were discussing exactly what we were going to talk about after prayer, and uh, we had no idea. <laughs> so, as I was reading, yeah, Leslie. I have a card for Lisa Oh, man, absolutely. Thank you. Any other announcements, by the way? That's good. I appreciate that. I, it's been a while since I've been in here, so I don't remember. Jan has an announcement. Um, Victor Gagey is going to be here tomorrow morning. Oh, that's right. He's a speaker at our uh, spring rally for the LWML. And so if any of you ladies want to come and hear him, feel free to do that. Yep. Um, He's going to do a great job. And if you have any spring and summer clothes at home that your kids have grown out of, you have grown out of, or you don't want anymore, or the same with your husband, them in a plastic bag and bring them because um, Vicar is going to do kind of a spring Christmas sharing at Trinity in West Chicago. Great, all right. Yay. That's tomorrow. A lot of work to put together, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sure he would take them any time. And since Vicar Gady's here every Saturday night, you probably could uh, drop him off. And plus, the the Gady car is here all the time. We could probably find a spot in her trunk, Val's trunk. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. So what we're going to be tackling now here for the next few weeks will be. Um, you know, we're in Easter, and as 
um, you know, as Easter goes, resurrection. And I thought we would take a look at the endings of the gospel. Gospel endings, invitations to hope. Mainly because um, I think it's actually something we think about all the time, whether we actually articulate it this way or not. That may be left, you know, for to be decided. But um, T.S. Eliot, he's a well-known author, or, you know, poet, mainly for his poetry. Um, and he, he likes to talk about endings and beginnings and time. And, um, and so I put a little quote on there. I think, I think at each study we'll have a little T.S. Eliot quote. Um, from the four quartets, we shall not cease from exploration. And the end of our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. That's a great, that's a great understanding of Scripture. We'll actually take a look at where that is more explicit in a bit. But our life, okay, so we have, a, we have some metaphors going on here, exploration, exploring, journey. Um, when Jesus says to us, follow him, we are instantly into this metaphor, exploring, going where Jesus goes, doing what he does, saying what he says. And then when we arrive, our arrival is in a spot that we probably is unpredictable because we arrive where we started, but, exi- but at the same time when we arrive where we started, we actually understand it as the beginning and for the first time. So that's very, that's very helpful. Uh, the beginning shall remind us of the end, which is also a great way for the Bible to, to, to talk to, because already in Genesis chapter 3, verses, you know, just moments after the sin that destroys the world, we already have the ending. So the ending should remind us, the beginning reminds us of the end. And the cultivation of Christmas trees, that's a funny one. So you can Google all these and get them, I think. So anyways. So why this topic? It started during family devotions right after Easter at the Nelson household. We all read the resurrection accounts, and I couldn't help notice the various endings, something I've, you know, I already know. But, and just doing our devotional work, it really was quite interesting for me. One of the endings left me unsettled. Another seemed to keep on going. I think similar to a, you know, kind of like an airplane that's arriving but can't arrive at the airport. Just, you know, you're at your destination, but you just quite haven't landed yet. Um, and another had a thought bridge into something next, which for, I think for, for many of us is like satisfying and we're con- kind of content. And the last one left me wondering now what? Like the fishies in uh, Nemo. You know, they arrive at their destination. I think I might have mentioned this before. Kids, they're in their plastic bags. They arrive in the ocean, and they realize, oh, now what? <laughs> they actually not sure what to do next. Um, so, so you take those all together, I, you know, I couldn't, help, I couldn't help to see, you know, how these ref- actually reflect life. Um, at times, you know, our life and our future seems unsettled. Sometimes, you know, we're wondering if we're actually going to land. We know we're 
here where we're supposed to be, but we're still not sure exactly if we're done. Um, and then sometimes in our life we actually have something that happens to us that we're pretty cool with and we know what's the next step. We're, we're, we're okay with what happens next. And then, and then sometimes we're, we're wondering, okay, Lord, what's next for us? So, I mean, think about it. How many of us want to know why this or that happens to us only to be left unsure? How many of us want to know what will happen but are left with ambiguity? And how many of us want to know that everything's going to be okay only to have it seem not okay? And the gospel endings actually encompass all these questions. Um, So... That's why the ending and not the beginning. Beginnings are most important, I think, before you start. Uh, Lindsay likes to run marathons, and you always need to know where the starting line is. So the beginning is very important before you start, but for most of us, we're already in the middle of our lives. So the beginning is really not that important now. Behind us, we can't change it. It's part of our story. So, um, so if you're already begun, endings are most important. And if you're already begun, beginnings behind you without any chance to change it. However, the ending is that which you now can fully participate in as a new person. Speaking as a Christian, as as, as a new person. Um, and biblically speaking, the endings like the four quartets, will often return to the beginning. So think of Eden lost versus Eden restored. So focusing on the endings is is very normal. However, we know that the beginning and the end are, are different. Even though Eden lost, Eden restored, Eden restored is not the same as that which was lost. And that is very important for us because when we sin, and we have conflict, and we think about restitution and saying, I forgive you, we often think it's going to go back to the way it was before the sin happened. And that simply is not what will happen. That's not how the Bible talks. It will be similar, but it will not be the same. It will be different, and it will be more. Oh, man, hide that card! Lise, we were, oh man, whoever has that card, hide it. Lisa Geigler. She, apparently, not everyone saw who just walked in. We're going to send you a card, and, and when you get it, you pretend you're surprised. Oh, she walked in behind I know. That's good. Exactly. So, all right. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, just in case, if nobody knows who Lisa Geigler is, and the card is right here, don't give it to her afterwards, please. Although, you can sign your own card, I suppose. I mean, you want, you know, yeah. There's, I, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we all want the same thing, right? So... Yeah, exactly. Okay. I thought I would just bring that out in the open. 
Holly knows that if there's something a little uncomfortable, I probably will talk about it. Because you know what? Let's have a good laugh about it. Yeah. I don't want Lisa thinking, like, what's wrong with everybody? They're ignoring me today. Are they hiding something from me? Yes. No. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you can ask Holly about our first, one of our first dates. Okay. All right, anyways, however, so yes, so oftentimes when we've uh, experienced conflict and we've been sinned against or we've sinned against somebody else and we're working through forgiveness, we often think, I wish it could go back to the way it was. And we all know it can't go back to the way it was. Um, And perhaps that's maybe best that it doesn't go back. Because if you think about it, if it goes back to the beginning, if it goes back to the way it was, then there's a very good chance that you will wind up in the same spot. Conflict, sin, and, and, and we don't want that again. So something has to change. So th- th- that's uh, kind of the, the reason behind uh, the focusing on the endings. I guess I should have wrote that down. That would have been better. Um, but, um, but at the same time, though, when the ending is forgiveness and restitution and new, Eden restored, new life, new creation, then the ending actually helps us to see what's transpired in a different light. Um, it radically changes what's happened. Obviously, the case, the best case is for, for to see the crucifixion. I mean, we, we sinned against Christ. We put him on the cross. But the ending, the resurrection, then casts a whole different light upon the crucifixion. And so, so yeah, the endings help us with the beginnings. And since we've already begun... Sometimes, you know, maybe you guys right now in your life, you're in the middle of a story that you actually don't want to be a part of. I, I have that feeling often. I wish I was somewhere else. Uh, had a different story. Um, but since we've already begun, we're in the middle of the story, then we need to focus on what's, what's, what's going to happen, the ending. So exploring the endings will help us reinterpret our beginning in light of the gospel. So yeah, that's so we're gonna. But before we actually tackle uh, the Gospels, let's just take a look at the Bible in general. Uh, be, actually, uh, let me ask you this: How do we normally like stories to end? Happy ending, right? Happily ever after. Exactly. Um, you know, and whether it be happily ever after, sometimes we do like just some closure. Right, I mean, at least closure. Even even if it's like a like a like if the bad guy wins, we still we're okay with the bad guy winning more than having some story simply end without an ending. Like we don't. Yeah, to be continued. Now, here's the thing, though, is that yeah, sometimes you know we're watching our favorite show on TV, and you know it's it's like it's like quarter two, right? Towards the end of the hour, you're like, this story has to hurry up. It's got to finish because it's got to be done in 10 minutes, right? Um, and then you're like, oh, it's 
going to be to be continued. Right? I mean, you are disappointed. But on a certain level, too, though, you realize, okay, I, I just have to, I have to wait, you know, seven days. Next week at this time, I've got to make sure I plan my life around this thing. And then I'll, I'll get some kind of closure eventually. So to be continued, as much as it's, you know, we're not, we're not cool with it, it does give us a little bit of a, something to hang on to, a little bit of hope. Uh, and so, yeah, so stories, you know, even though they don't necessarily, obviously we want it happily ever after. We, we want this thing to work out. Uh, then maybe second of all, to be continued. Maybe third, closure. At least a story that makes sense. Even though it's, you know, it's, it's a bad story, at least it makes sense. Um, and then worst of all, and I think everybody has a comment like this after a movie they watch, what was that even about? <laughs> Those are the least satisfying stories. You know, I kind of got it, but man, I didn't understand that ending at all. I, that makes no sense to me. I, I hope that each one of us have at least read a book like this, because kind of contemporary literature leans more towards this. Um, or at least we've seen a television show Probably not so much television, but definitely movies. We've come to a point. And uh, if you need any recommendations of those kind of movies, I got plenty of them. <laughs> okay? All right. Yeah, Kirby. I was thinking of Yes. Right. Right. What their ending is going to be, and who doesn't, and how, how they came to their own personal decision. Right. They wanted to know and then learn to live with it. Mm-hmm. Know and then realize it's not that ending is not going to be for them. I don't know. I, yeah, right. Actually, this is perfect. Right. Well, and actually, Kirby, that, that's, yeah, hit the home run right there. That's perfect. Um, that's exactly what we're getting at in, in the gospel narrative. Because, but the other aspect is, yes, Kirby, we know the ending. However, how many of us are discontent in our life? Uh, but we know the ending. What's wrong with you people? In fact, you know, when we do watch a movie, right, and we start talking to, about, to our friends, and then we have... You know, we have an A-B conversation, and C comes into it, and we, we're talking about a Harry Potter movie, and this person says, oh, don't say anymore. I don't know the ending. So there is times where, yeah, we really want to know the ending, but then there's other times where we don't, and then sometimes when we find out the ending, we're still not satisfied. It's a very peculiar position we're in as Christians. Um, yeah, okay. So, uh, Kirby's example is really great. Yes, Beth? But those two people really don't know the ending. The ones that think they know the ending. About Huntington's disease? Well, they do know it, but they don't know it. 
Yeah, they don't, yeah, they, exactly. They don't know exactly how the story will unfold. Right. Oh, that's good. That's exactly right. Because sometimes the story in between, now I always, I tell people, you know, when we talk about stories, I'm like, yeah, go ahead and tell the ending. That's not a big deal to me. Because that won't make or break whether I participate in the story because, frankly, the ending is a very short part of the story. And what when we participate in the story as a whole, like Beth is basically getting at, is that, yeah, we might know the ending, but we don't know exactly how it's going to unfold. I mean, just because we know the ending, we don't want... I mean, that's not going to change our life right now. I mean, it will, in the sense of how we live today. But it won't necessarily, you know, it won't necessarily impact us directly today. That's something in the future. So, um, exactly. And this is not something uncommon to the first Christians. Read the book of First Thessalonians. Go home tonight and read it with your husbands and your family. And all right, we're gonna have story time. First Thessalonians, uh, the, the church in Thessalonica uh, had a problem with the ending, and they say, "Hey, Jesus said he's coming to coming back. All right, let's just hang out, let's chill out." And Paul's like, "What's wrong with you? That's not what you do." You keep living because God gave us life, and life is meant to be lived, not to sit back and watch everybody else live. So, all right, great. Anyways, all right, good, excellent. I was a little concerned whether we're going to be, this is good, this is awesome, all right, excellent. So let's take a look at, so we all got this understanding of how story ends. I mean, in the categories that I mentioned, they're, I mean, they're all various formations of those, but you get the gist. So the question would be, how do the biblical books end? This is where I think we've got to be a little bit more open-minded because, yeah, we know about the resurrection, we know about revelation, but how do the stories actually end? Like the words on the page. Okay? Sometimes we just kind of roll right into We get to the ending too quickly and we lose sight of what is happening right now. So... Um, all right, so first of all, the endings are intended to make the hearer think. So when we read scripture, they're not here to entertain us, although they are entertaining, and they're not here to satisfy our own anxieties. And that's, that's important for us, because <laughs> sometimes we go to scripture, right, with a bunch of anxieties, and we're, we're, we're not sure what's going to happen, and frankly, after we read the Bible, we're still dissatisfied, and we still have a little bit of anxiety, because... God, God is speaking to us in what He has done, what He is doing. And it's, it's, it's like uh, the psalm that we read today. You know, it's about His glory and His praise. Sometimes, sometimes we're, not, we're not satisfied with that. So Jonah is a very good example. Find the book of Jonah. Turn to Jonah if we have a Bible handy. I think we've got a pile of them over yonder there. Jonah, we all know the story, right? Big old fish. 
And we got some kind of plant involved. But if you don't remember the way Jonah ends, there's going to be. Uh, yeah, actually, did I write that down? Oh, yeah, I guess we all have the same Bible now. That's right. It's 775. That's right. All right, so we all know the story. Uh, God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh. It's a terrible place. And tell them to repent. Jonah's like, no. I'm going to go to the exact opposite spot, Tarshish, which we don't know exactly, but we probably think it's Spain. Somewhere in Spain. Uh, Nineveh is, Nineveh heads east, so, so of course Jonah heads west. And then, you know, the big storm, these sailors are like, what's going on around here? The gods must be angry at us. Um, but none of us have done anything wrong. There's this crazy guy who's sleeping in the boat. Let's get him out here and talk to him. Jonah says, yeah, it's me. you got to throw me overboard. And the sailors actually are like, no, let's not. We don't want to kill you. So they th- start throwing all the cargo over. Still ain't going to fix it. So they finally are like, okay, Jonah, you're out of here. Fish comes, swallows them up, then pukes them up onto the shore, presumably on the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea. And he heads over towards Nineveh. Preaches in Nineveh, a huge city, and they actually repent. But Jonah's angry. Because he wants justice. He doesn't want grace and mercy. In fact, that's what he says to God. I knew you were going to do this. That's why I didn't want to do this. Um, so now he's like, okay, well, let's just see what God's going to do. So he's, he goes outside the city, you know, has a, makes a little, I don't know, lean-to or something, and then a tree gives him shade. But then a worm comes along, you know, like many of our vegetables. Man, those, those, those critters can turn on it quickly. Wakes up the next morning. And um, chapter 4, verse 8, we'll just, or verse 7. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. Now, that's, that's very interesting. He ordained a worm <laughs> that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. Jonah. You know, I don't know. It must have been really hot. And said, is it better for me to die than to live? It is better for me to to die than live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Which is, you know, kind of like, you know, are you kidding me? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. This guy, yeah, this guy is a big baby. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being a night and perished in a night. And I should not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right hand from their left, not so much cattle. So you're, you're really thinking here, did someone like, you know, cut the scroll off? Aren't we expecting Jonah to respond to this? 
You're, I mean, like, seriously, you're like, did, did I, is this a misprint? Hello? Um, I think, I mean, I, 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 frankly, I love the way that ends, because it is, it, that is a very strange ending. The entire story makes sense. I mean, this is all, we're all working, it all makes sense. We have the problem, we have a solution. Then we kind of have a climax, you know, up, and then we're, we're on this way down. But we have one thing that's unresolved, and that's Jonah, the main character. Nineveh's resolved, meaning that they've repented, they received absolution, and now they're living life in forgiveness. But the main guy, the guy that we think about, this guy is completely unresolved. No closure. And so for most of us, we're thinking, well, that's why I read the Gospels anyways. I don't read the Old Testament for this reason. And we just ignore it. But there could be, you know, so we're dissatisfied with the ending. We wonder, you know, so then we ask, what does this even mean? What does it mean? And when we ask that, we really ask, you know, what does it mean for us? Like, what am I supposed to take away from this story? Um, and I forgot to cite this quote. This is Morna, Morna D. Hooker. That's a very smart lady. Um, for when a story stops, rather than coming to a conclusion, we feel involved. We want to step into the plot and sort things out. So this is a very interesting device where we it leaves unfinished. But what do we do when we get to our we, we get together with our girlfriends the next day, or actually usually that night, or in the middle of our, our favorite you know television show? Right? Something's unresolved at the end. What do we do? We call them up, we talk to our friends, and we try to figure it out. We're like, can you believe that happened? I don't watch a lot of shows like that, so I, I, don't, I watch The Office, 30 Rock, Psych. What else do we watch, babe? That's about it. So I don't, yeah, we, watch, we don't watch Glee. Yeah, we don't watch, like, all the top shows we don't really watch, I don't think. Yeah, we just saw Kung Fu Panda, which makes, you know, complete sense, you know. Still, yeah, reality TV. Now, that actually is a very, that's a very interesting, uh, uh, that actually doesn't surprise me. Swamp people. <laughs> hey, it's like that Holy Women book. <laughs> oh, man. All right, okay. All right, so this is a great example here of what I was talking about. In our midst, we start talking about television shows. Bam, we're already participating in them. Um... So Jonah is a perfect example where this is completely unresolved. There is actually, in a sense, no ending. It just stops. Um, but yet, at the same time, that story then drives us into, you know, so we're all thinking, oh yeah, of course, jo- Jonah, he repented, right? I mean, he's in the Bible. So he's got, he's got to be repentant. I mean, he's got, right? He's a good guy. You don't know, exactly. The Lord uses even the pagans, which will bring me to in later ones. This is very good. I actually like the story now. I, I always have never read the last part. Yeah, right. Oh, 
Right. Well, I think that's the arch books. I think, yeah. I think that's how it ends. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it ends with like mid-sentence. Yeah. Right. Well, exactly, yeah. So the Bible is very realistic. So our happily ever after desire in a story is unrealistic. And it actually is it. So the question would be whether that's a good desire. Well, maybe not a good desire. Uh, is that an appropriate desire? Yeah. And do we have. Now, this, I was going to talk about this next week, but like the, the role of expectations. And if we have false expectations, what does that actually do to us? So our desire, our expectation to have a fairy tale end, I'm sorry, a story, to end like a fairy tale, happily ever after, is that, a, is that a false expectation? And if it is, then why do we keep doing it? Yeah. Carol? Yeah, right. Yeah, well, I would I would say it's actually the psalm. The psalm is a is, you know their prayers, their songs. They're not necessarily they're not narratives necessarily. So the question, yeah. So on a on a level, yeah, you're absolutely right, Carol. You're absolutely right. And the other thing would be more in terms of reality. Like the psalms reflect reality in their entirety. I mean, we all like Psalm 23, you know, but there's a lot of other psalms. I mean, there's a lot of scary psalms, so, which, that's a whole other Bible study. But, I mean, like, you know, yeah, right. So, yeah, you are right, Carol, yes. Leslie, Nancy, somebody over here. Nancy? Well, I was just going to say, I mean, we like things to end at the happily ever after point, but, in fact, no life is happily ever after. And the prince and the princess get married, and maybe a year down the line, they're arguing about things. I mean, you know, our lives are... Into the woods! Anybody ever see that play? Into the woods! <laughs> Yeah, right. There's a, I don't know if you know this. There's a play called Into the Woods, which is the story after ha- Happily Ever After. Completely depressing. I think everyone destroys each other. There's like one person living at the end or something like that. It's terrible. But this is your high school student's play, so it's realistic. That's right. All right, so, okay, good. So this is great. Um, so when we come to the endings of these, of these uh, stories, we have to ask ourselves, you know, we, we kind of go to judgment saying, that, yeah, this isn't a great story because it doesn't end the way that we think it should. But um, that goes with uh, what Marilyn said, you know, why, so why, why, why is it even the Bible then? It's, it's got to serve some purpose. Uh, although sometimes we wonder, and I don't think we actually know the purpose. We'll actually come to Nahum in a second here, but... That's right. We don't know exactly what that is, but we're assuming it has to do with the fish. Not his anger at the end of uh, the book. Yes. No, Jesus in Matthew explains it, yeah. All right, so, but the thing is, though, there are fairy tales in the Bible. So, so there, there are good endings. You know, it's not all strange, weird, like Jonah. Esther, Ruth, Esther, and Job. I think they... I, you know, you can make a case for other books in the Bible, but these definitely have all very nice, neat clothes. You know, they all have a very nice and neat clothes- closing. Where one could say they live happily ever after. Ruth and Boaz, you presume, live happily ever after. Um, you know, they, they, 
you know, they get married and they have King David. Uh, I, can't, I didn't look this up beforehand. It's either his, David's is a grandson or great-grandson or something. That, that, I was lazy. I decided to look. But it ends with the King David, so we're all like, ooh, hey, all right. This is a good story. David, go David. Esther, you know, is obviously triumphant. And then, not that we would know this, but this story actually ends with Mordecai. And he becomes, like, second in power. He was the guy who was going to be killed, but now he's... And then Job, I say it's a nice, neat ending, although the story in between is pretty terrible. Uh, he does, it comes to this ending where he receives twice what he's lost. Actually, it's more than twice, but children twice as much. So, um, you know, we're kind of like, okay, okay, yeah, we're, we're good with that. You know, we don't want experiences in between. But, you know, at least if, if it comes to the point where, you know, I'm going to have a bunch of stuff at the end, you know, I, I could maybe endure Endure pain and suffering. Because I know if I'm going to get something, then it gives me purpose in my suffering. So the question would be, what happens if there is nothing at the end and you're still suffering? So, okay. That would be the Jesus. Joshua, I, you know, is, is a very, uh, there's like a very nice, neat beginning and the end. Joshua is a, a very easy story to read with your children, in fact. I mean, they, they would get it. Obviously, Jonah, we've already talked about. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, actually have very open-ending. They always kind of roll into the next one. Um, Genesis ends with Joseph's death and the children of Israel in Egypt, which obviously is not where they belong. So there's a promise that these people will return to the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Exodus, obviously, is the story of how they're going to be back. But at the end of Exodus, they're not anywhere. They're at Mount Sinai, but God's tabernacle is established, and we know that God's going to lead them to it. Well, Leviticus and Numbers is the journey. They're still, they make very special points. that Leviticus, they're still at Mount Sinai. And uh, Numbers, they're in Moab somewhere. So we all know the story's not ending, so we have another next chapter, so we're, we're all drawn into this. We know we have to keep going. And then Deuteronomy ends with death, Moses's, and they're at the edge of the promised land, which then brings us into Joshua, which we're all like, hey, great, okay, we all ended in the right spot. Now the rest of the Old Testament is very peculiar, too, because Judges ends terribly, Ends with people doing what is right in their own eyes. In fact, let's just look that up. I think, well, we're not that close. But, you know, it's a couple pages over. (laughs) Just before Samuel. Page 221. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Okay. Now, obviously, yeah, it goes into Ruth, which is a nice story after that, but again, so we have these stories, we're like, what? It's terrible. So, uh, yes, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel, and Samuel is kind of the, the ascent of the King David. But the point is, though, is that these stories, these times, so the people, though, we've got to ask ourselves, if you're a person in that time, they're not, they don't, it's hard to think about King David. He's not around yet. So the story unto itself um, is a very peculiar ending because 
Everyone's doing right in their own eyes, which is code for not following God. But as we're reading it, the fact that there's a mention of a king also has a promise attached to it. Because Judges is all about the no kings. So, you know, Judges, you know, it's pretty weird, strange. Samuel, the kings, which is kind of one big story. Uh, Jehoiakim, who's a terrible ruler, evil, is released from prison, but yet there's no, like, he, he doesn't repent or anything. I mean, there's no, like, return to God. That's how it ends, with an evil king. Chronicles, Ezra, and Nehemiah, there, it's a very nice, neat story insofar as, hey, David, you know, the sin with Bathsheba is barely mentioned, so we're not going to get into that. So Chronicles kind of whitewashes history. Uh, I, I, you know, it, it does. It retells Samuel and Kings and leaves things out. But that's on purpose. It's a theological reason. But anyway, so we have this thing about, hey, people are coming back to Israel. The temple is rebuilt. But then that's it. We're not even sure if people are going to head back in there. We're not sure exactly if this is going to be. We're, we're still unended. And then the prophets, almost all the prophets, have an open ending. There, there's, there's somewhat of a closure, but it's always with a promise. And then you get Nahum. And I think some of the other minor prophets, you could probably say, have a pretty sad ending. Nahum ends in total despair. I mean, there is, there is, you're not, you got nothing. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of depressing. So these books of the Bible, though, so what we see, though, is that, as, as Kirby says, I would define this as more realistic. And so this is why we read the Bible. Not to escape reality, but to enter into reality. And as we enter into God's word as our source of reality, then God's word then defines this reality out here. And that goes, I think, um, well, yeah, I should just finish. So at the end of the Old Testament, we know, we're not exactly sure what's happened next, but we know God is present. And that that essentially is all we get. <laughs> Which is pretty much all we get at, at, at in our own life now. We don't know what this afternoon will bring us. We don't know exactly what tomorrow will bring us. But we know God is here. So, you know, what does it say about the gospel endings? You can read that. Uh, I, I want to finish up. What does it say about us? And this is, this is probably the thing that's been rolling in my mind, is that reading any kind of modern literature, uh, watching a lot of uh, uh, film, too, is that we often have culture, art, or whatever, that doesn't always seek a resolution in the same way that we have grown up with. Um, And I think that's a testimony to the fact that the world is screwed up. And, you know... We, sometimes we don't enter into art to escape reality, but to, to kind of help us interpret reality. Um, so I think resolution might be better understood in terms of hope that allows for the present to be unfinished or unresolved. Resolution is not in an ending, but in, in a hope. So we become resolute, we become resolved in the fact that we actually have hope. 
By its very nature, hope doesn't have closure outside itself. Hope is its closure. Hope is its own ending, its own closure. Okay, I wrote that down. The ending will come when it comes, and that is that. Hope waits. Hope gives strength to carry on into the day so that you can get out of bed in the morning and live. Um, and, and the fact is, in life, we don't see the resolution always. But in spite of this, we desire the strength and hope to endure to the ending, more specifically, our ending. And where does this happen? Well, where does this happen? I think uh, Little Miss Sunshine, if, in, if you know, hopefully people have seen that movie. If you haven't, I would recommend it. But um, that, that ending to that movie really struck me. Um, at the end of the movie, nothing is resolved. There isn't really a resolution. There actually is no closure. That Little Miss Sunshine, there's a girl who enters a beauty pageant. She loses. <laughs> uh, there's a young boy, his, her older brother, who wants to go into the Air Force, but can't. Uh, the dad, he, he wants this book deal, but he loses everything. Loses the book deal, all the money to his name. There's a grandpa involved. He's dead. And the uncle is still depressed and suicidal. However, in spite of all this, at the end, there's actually hope. I think this is a great thing. There's a great scene. The family demonstrates their hope in their dancing in their own festival in front of everyone, in front of this beauty pageant, these people where they've just heard they've lost and, you know, you would expect defeat. They're rejoicing. And, I mean, it's basically they're going to remain a family in face of everything. And through this, they have hope. Their hope is tangible in a relationship, in community, and another person. So where does our ending come? Where does our hope come from? It comes from relationship, a person. And as Christians, obviously, we're thinking of a very specific person. So this is helpful for us who don't see a purpose as easily as others. There might not be a purpose, per se. There might actually not be a purpose outside hope. But at the same time, this doesn't destroy our hope in an ending that is good because our hope doesn't lie in a circumstance, in an event, but in a person, in Jesus, and then in one another, in the body of Christ. Well, that's what T.S. Eliot says. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes endings are endings. Yeah. Jan. Right. Yeah, well, because if it looks evil, how can this be good? Or if it looks destructive, I think. It's probably more what we should think about. If it looks destructive, how can that be good? But the reality is sometimes we have to be laid waste before God rebuilds. And we don't like this part. We like this part. So. But the Bible doesn't say that the circumstance is good. It just says that God can bring good out of it for you. And the goodness is him. I mean, that, that's, that's the struggle, though. It's him. And so when God's word and sacrament are here and present, that is good. That is the goodness. Outside that, there is no good. But oftentimes we look for things outside of that. We look for... You know, if we're, we, we're financially constrained, we expect money to come in. If we're, if we're you know, if we have, it's this, it's this kind of this strange way that we look for something aside from God's goodness. But the fact is, is that God's goodness is what he actually, like his presence is what he promises. You know, we might end like Nahum, which we didn't read, but Nineveh is 
is raining and Israel stinks. So let's pray. If we want to hang out some more, we can. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, thanks, guys.